0: Hey guys, I know I'm biased because I wrote these books, but if you're sitting there and you're getting ready to listen to this episode and you're thinking, when this episode's over, what am I going to do? Well, I'm looking for a book to read. I want to laugh out loud. I want to piss my pants while I'm sitting on the sofa. I got you covered. The Flight Attendant Joe series. Fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm just here for the layovers, all available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. My recommendation is once this episode's over, you want to continue the laughter, go purchase the ebook or the paperback, and you will be laughing your ass off, I promise. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. Before I get started, I want to thank you all for your positive feedback, your reviews regarding last week's episode, Joe and Ryan talk politics. You know, it was fun to sit down and talk to somebody who has a different viewpoint. And you know, we don't do that anymore. We stay on our side. They stay on their side. We don't even want to open up that can of worms, but we have to. You have to talk about your differences or we're basically all fucked. Seriously, I'm not joking. I'm not trying to be your therapist. I'm not trying to scare you, but I challenge you, sit down, talk to somebody in your family, a friend who voted for someone who you may not agree with. You may find the person despicable. I totally understand that. But sit down, ask them, why did you do that? You might find something in there, some little piece of something that you can hold on to salvage that relationship. Just because somebody doesn't see your point of view doesn't mean They're the worst person in the entire world. All right, let me get off this soapbox before I fall and squish one of the cats. (laughs) I'm ridiculous. This week, I had pilot Justin Seams, the creator of the Pilot to Pilot podcast on the show. I didn't know what I was gonna talk to him about. I knew I would talk to him a little bit about being a pilot, but I was like, there's gotta be something else about this guy that we can discuss, because at some point... I've heard all the stories about how you become pilots. So I did a little digging and I found some fun stuff. Justin was the quarterback uh, for Ohio State back in his college days, number 17, right? We talked about the Aaron Hernandez story on Netflix, specifically about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, I might as well not even try to say the whole word and the damage that young football players and nfl players put on their body the concussions and what that does to their future and their brain right we talked about an incident that occurred to him back in the day that could have altered his path becoming a pilot we talked about will pilots eventually one day fly airplanes from a cubicle remotely Maybe starting with cargo. Listen, I won't be a flight attendant then, so I'm not too worried, but it does make me a little nervous to think about nobody up in the flight deck. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Justin Seams.
1: Episode 37 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Flight Attendant Joe. Now, if you don't know who Flight Attendant Joe is, you must be living under a rock because he has been killing the book game, Instagram game, and most currently the podcast game with his recent podcast, Confessions on the Fly. You're not going to want to miss that podcast. It is hilarious, and I strongly recommend you give it
0: a listen. Justin, welcome to my podcast.
1: What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. It's uh, I hate listening to my voice, so that was that well was you're, funny interrupt.
0: Your voice is great. You have the deepest voice, so I'm going to try to control myself while I'm on the other end of the call.
1: <laughs> Sounds good, man. Um, but I played
0: that one because you know I was on your show back on June 27th, 2018, like a year and a half ago. So this is like part That's two. Crazy.
1: This is part two.
0: This is part two. So, how um, you're really doing good. You're killing the podcast game. You've got over twenty thousand Instagram followers. Um, the day we're recording this, you have ninety three episodes. Um, yeah. What is your What is your end game for this podcast?
1: Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know you probably know that pilots are some of the worst business people on earth. So I guess my main goal is try to prove that statistic wrong and not fall to be a statistic and not burn it to the ground. So. My ultimate dream for Pilot the Pilot would be to turn it into a huge media company. So on the likes of Flying or maybe kind of how AOPA has their media side, but I'd love to like own an airport with hangers, with employees, with other podcasts, with just kind of like new media. So whether it's people blogging, people podcasting, people vlogging, people doing some cool stuff with uh, personalities on YouTube and kind of just see where it can go from there.
0: What is AOP? I'm sorry. AOPA. AOPA, it's what's a- that? Yeah,
1: it's AOPA is an organization. They've been sponsoring my flat, my uh, podcast for a while, and they just do a lot of media work. So they're kind of like a goal that I have to set out to kind of be on their level. And they have memberships, and it's uh, it's a really cool, really cool um, uh, operation.
0: That's awesome. So are you thinking, like when I hear you talk, I'm imagining like the Huffington Post, but pilot to pilot where all different people, you know, add stories and they blog and they do all like a big media empire. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, I mean, that would that would be the goal. Like I would love to be on the Huffington Post level of uh, readership and maybe kind of investors and money. Uh, it's going to be more driven by kind of like Huffington Post does it, just like local uh, local writers or people just all over have the opportunity to go in there and contribute and have viewership, have readers, have listeners, have downloads, whatever it may be. And then we, I don't know how income works with that. So kind of work that out as it goes, but that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. I think that it'd just be a great way to get more people to express their opinion on aviation and kind of uh, get another resurgence in media and in the aviation industry.
0: Now, if, if this comes to fruition for you do you see yourself pulling back and letting all the other people run it or would you be involved also because i had this idea when i first started the flight attendant joe blog i was like you know what someday i want this to be like the huffington post where i don't even have to really do that much that people just you know submit articles and they blog and it just runs on its own
1: um yes i would like to be as hands-off as possible i mean I'm a pilot, I love my time off and you're in aviation too. You know the the greatest thing ever is time off. So I'd love to to make it like a well oiled machine so it can operate on its own. But I would love I don't think I'd ever want to sell it. I think I'd always want to be in charge. I've always wanna be the one making the business decisions and kind of just keeping it for me because pilot the pilot has kind of turned into way more than I ever thought it was when I honestly started. I thought I'd do two, five episodes and never do it again because I didn't think anyone would listen. I had no idea why anyone would want to listen to me talk. So I've just kind of been building off that. And yeah, I just don't think I could ever really like sell it because it's like my baby by now.
0: Would you, um, would you consider, so would you ever consider giving up being a pilot? What if it got so big where you, it supported you? Yeah. Would you ever give up I- flying for something like that?
1: Yes, I would. Because I value being home and being around my family. And I think that if I could find a way to make the money that I could to support myself or the money that I think would be enough to support myself, then I could stay at home and kind of just like be hands off a little bit like we're just talking about, let it run, but still be in charge. And if I could stay at home and kind of do that, I think that'd be great. But I would also be really interested in being like a a very senior FO on like the nicest airplane, like a 787 where I'd never have to work. (laughs) I just work maybe like one trip a month and make bank. And then I can use every other day to work on the podcast or the the media company.
0: You know, I've been a flight attendant for 12 years now. And um, I'm still trying to figure out how I can be a flight attendant from home. (laughs)
1: exactly right
0: (laughs) because i hate going to work i've been off i've actually been off for the i've been off for a while from using pto and now i go back to work next week and i'm already like oh my god have three months been over already
1: it's crazy i mean I, i know that you love your job like you do love being a flight attendant i do love being a pilot but sometimes, you know, aviation can be kind of a drag, you know, it's not always perfect. It's not always what Instagram makes it out to be. It can be really long days. You can have really difficult passengers on your end, you know, like we, the pilots could have really difficult flying. So it can just be really, really long days and sometimes having a nice stretch of three months or maybe even one day being able to step away and run a company, you know, it could be, uh, it's always nice.
0: It would be good. Now I'm going to have to correct you on that because I don't know if I love being a flight attendant anymore. I love it. I like, yeah. Oh yeah. I I struggled. That was my entire third book was I hate this job. What am I going to do? Uh, I like being a flight attendant when I'm not there. So right now I love it. It's amazing. Oh my God. I get to fly everywhere. But when I have to put my uniform on next week and commute, I'm going to be like, why am I doing this?
1: What do you hate? What do you dislike most about it? Um,
0: I think I'm burnt out of of I like you. I like to be home. Yeah. Um, the idea of commuting and packing my suitcase. Now, if I have to pack my suitcase to go on vacation, hell, I'm packed like three days before. Let's go. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, I just I, I've given up faith in the airline industry. Okay. I don't have much faith in them anymore. Um you know, it's just a big machine. I'm just a number. And, you know, 10 years ago, I felt like I really contributed, but now I'm just on the, the fence of, oh, well, I'm easily replaced. I'm not here because I'm the most smartest flight attendant, or I'm not here because of my intelligence, or I know how to communicate. I'm here because I'm passing out nuts and anyone can do that.
1: That's uh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same way with pilots too. Like, you know, like they can replace me with anyone else. Like that kind of goes a lot of jobs, especially they can find a way to pay someone less money than they're paying you. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, that's a hard thing to kind of, uh, to grasp, you know?
0: Yeah. So I, I struggle with that, but, um, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. Maybe, maybe you never know. Now you're a, you're, <laughs> you're a corporate pilot. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, I'm a corporate pilot. So I don't like to say who I fly for just because a company that I I work for is very particular in their brand and kind of how they brand themselves. So I don't want to bring like any negative energy toward that or any negativity toward that. But I do fly corporate. I fly for one of the bigger fractional companies in um, pretty much the world. We have just under 500 planes and it pretty much operates just like an airline, but it's just uh, more corporate driven.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm glad you're not mentioning any names. I never mention airline names.
1: When I I have people on... Yeah.
0: Um, and how long have you been, a, how long have you actually been a pilot?
1: How long? So, okay. I started training in 2010. I did, took my first lesson. Uh, it took me forever to get my private pilot license because I played football while I was also doing my training. So it took me about four years to actually get my private pilot license. And then I've been flying professionally where I'm able to get paid for since 2015. So five years now.
0: Okay. That's great. Congratulations on that. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
0: You mentioned something a few minutes ago about, oh, yeah, you know, I worry, or they could replace pilots too. Do you ever think there'll be a time where airplanes are without pilots and they're automatic, or maybe mm-hmm. pilots are on the ground controlling them like um, what are they called? What are the things?, Ugh, you know, I forget like everything pilots and stuff or, uh, uh, no, like, remote remo- yeah, like remote airplanes do you ever see that where pilots are sitting in a cubicle somewhere controlling airplanes with passengers on them
1: uh unfortunately i do i think that is going to be one of the only ways that they can combat the pilot shortage so i don't think there's going to be enough pilots i don't think they're going to want to pay the price that these pilots and or that i or other pilots will be worth because they can replace them or they can have just one pilot I don't think it's going to happen in the next 10 years, maybe 20 years. I think we might see a situation where it's going to be on certain planes with certain routes, with certain duty regulations, where it's going to be one pilot and a ground remote operator. And I think that will last for about 10 years until the the technology can be then maybe just one ground operator or two ground operators and no one in the plane. Now, the big thing is going to be kind of passengers. Will passengers sign off on this? Because, airlines want this. Um, I'm sure Boeing likes this too, because you take out the human error aspect of it. Now, when you get into automation, you also with the 737 MAX, with all that automation issues that they had, there's gonna be a lot of issues with it. There's gonna be a lot of uh, frustrations. And But I just think it's something that is going to happen, unfortunately. And I'm not a proponent for it. I'm not here talking about how it should happen and how I want it to happen. But I kind of would feel like I would not be doing my part in kind of raising awareness to the fact that this is probably going to happen in the next 20, 30 years.
0: I agree with you. And I think that probably the biggest issue would be the passengers, you know, passengers sitting there, on an airplane, flight attendant serving nuts, and there's nobody in the flight deck. Like when I just say it right now, I start to panic. Even though I know you guys are up there with your iPads watching Netflix.
1: Um, <laughs> no, no way, never. No,
0: that <laughs> never happens. What are you talking about? I know. I don't know what you're um, talking about. <laughs> I don't know, you. I just talk out of my ass, Justin. You know that. You know. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But I can imagine it would start with cargo first.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think FedEx FedEx and UPS would definitely be the pioneers in this.
0: Right. And then, you know, because nobody, oh, I'm not going to get my package, but it's going to be selling people. It's just like um, self-driving cars. When it first started, people were like, I'm not, I need to be in control. And I think that's a lot of the problem with airline passengers is even though when there's pilots up front, they're uncomfortable because they're not driving the vehicle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think that it's going to start with UPS and FedEx. I think that it's going to be a really interesting time because if there's as little as one mistake that an airplane makes, if it crashes once, or if it does something where it leads to something tragic happening, then I think it's really going to push it back 10, 15, maybe even forever. But I think that they're going to try. They're going to try as hard as they can. Like, like I said, it's going to be a solution to the pilot shortage. It's going to be the cheapest solution. Think of all the money they're going to be able to save with, with insurance, with um, payroll, with training. So it's just it's almost what they need to happen, the airlines and uh, and Boeing and Airbus. So it's going to be interesting. It's a, it's a wild time in aviation. It's possibly the best time for pilots to get in. But there's also a chance that it could be the end of the best time to get in because of the single pilot and because of the possibility that it could just become computer flying all the time.
0: That's true because, you know, I might not see it. I'm old. So <laughs> I might not see it in my lifetime. Like I can imagine in 50 years them um, – there would probably be no pilots left. It's like the truck drivers, you know, now they're going to have um, automatic self-driving tractor trailers. So these people are going to be sitting in a cubicle, probably controlling tractor trailers, driving from point A to point B. And so when it's, when you think about airplanes, it's so fascinating to think that that's something that could happen in the future. And I really think it will.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not a proponent for it. I'm not someone that's saying that it needs to happen and I want it to happen, but I think doing my part, I have to raise awareness to it and we have to raise awareness to it that it is an option and that if you want to do this as a career, there's a good chance I might be the last generation to fully fly airplanes. By the time I leave, I might be a remote operator. I might be the single pilot in an airplane. I might not even have a job. So it's definitely, it. it technology is going to change everything. I mean, you hear Elon Musk talk about technology and where we've come in the last 10, 15 years. It's just, it's it's something that I don't think we'll be able to stop.
0: Well, I think kids, the, the kids growing up now, the 10 and 11-year-olds who sit at home and play video games all day, they will love this. They'll be like, wow, I get to fly an airplane and not leave my sofa.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Right? They will. It it's might good. just be a video game. They might not even know they're actually doing it. How oh, crazy God. is that?
0: Well, don't say that because then they're going to be like, I'm putting this one into the ground. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's stressing me out. I was listening to some of your podcast episodes today to right. prepare cuz I like to I like to prepare for my guests and I heard you mention something about having an some type of accident but I yeah. couldn't find out any more information on it. Are you able to, can you talk about that? What What was the situation that occurred? Cause you talked yes. about how um, you had to face kind of your fears to get back into the airplane and somebody suggested to you, you just need to jump back into the seat and go.
1: Yeah, so it's actually wild that we're recording. It's actually gonna be, let's see, it was 2015. So 5 years ago tomorrow is the day it happened. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of a small world. Um yeah, so I was flying aerial survey. I was building my time and I was flying a 206. I probably had about 400 maybe 500 hours and it, it, building your time in aviation. And as a pilot, a lot of people that are listening to this that are building their time know that it's a, it can be kind of daunting. It'd be kind of hard. You're, you're trying to get your time, but there's so many shady operators out there. There's so many people that kind of don't pay attention to maintenance, but you overlook things because you need that time more than anything. You need to get the 1500 hours so you can get hired by envoy. So then you can go to American. So then you can have the, the career and the dream that you've always wanted can come true. So you kind of overlook some things and you don't really know because you're so new to the industry. And this maintenance department at the aerial survey company was not the best. Um, There was a oil change that they're doing the night before. And it was actually a friend of mine that did it. And he didn't fully complete the oil change. I don't know if it's common practice in maintenance, but he didn't open the oil filter to see if there's any metal in it. That indicates that there's something wrong with the engine and the plane should be down and they should either look into the engine, redo the engine, rebuild it, do something to fix it so it's not going to break. And unfortunately, they didn't cut that open until after we had an engine failure in West Virginia and had to land on a mountain, which <laughs> is pretty wild. I'm actually going to post the picture tomorrow. I have okay. some pictures of it tomorrow. So I'm going to post some of those or I'll hand them over to you and you can look at them. But we were flying a mission, just a normal day. we were actually flying inside Washington, D.C.'s airspace. So it would have been even worse. It would have happened there. Who knows that we would have been shot down or what or where we would land. But uh, we were coming back and we were flying over Morgantown, West Virginia. This is like the last thought I remember before it happened. And we're flying back and both of us look at each other and we're like, man, this would be a terrible place to lose your engine. And I kid you not, a minute later, the engine stops. <laughs> we, were just, we were at 4,500 feet. I think the mountains or rolling hills, whatever you want to call them in West Virginia, they were probably at like 2,500 feet. So we had about 2,000 feet um, of of space between us before we had to land and it went by fast. It felt like we're probably in the air for a minute. might've been longer, might've been less. I don't really know. I was kind of in survival mode, but I'd say for the first 10 seconds, we kind of had, we're like dumbfounded and looked at each other and we were just like, dude, this is, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. Like this is, this is awful. And then after 10, 10 seconds, we were kind of like, all right, this is a situation that we have. How are we going to react to this? How are we going to go home to our families? How are we going to go home to our wives, our fiancés, whatever we had at the time? I was married. I don't know if he was married, but we decided that we needed to, to figure out a way to fix this and land on the, on the mountaintop. So we started searching for places of land. There was literally nowhere to land except for this one grass strip that was uphill on top of a mountain or hill. Like it looked like a mountain to us, So I always say mountains but it's owned by the oil fields. So the oil fields It used to be retention pond. It was a retention pond probably six months before we landed there mm-hmm. and they just filled it in with dirt, It just rained and snowed. So it was really wet and it was uphill. So we landed uphill and it slowed us down. And good thing it slowed us down because it was muddy and wet because there was three highly pressurized oil tanks that we probably stopped about a hundred feet from. So if we didn't have that uphill slope or if we didn't have the mud to slow us down, we would have ran straight into the oil tanks and, that would have been really bad.
0: So when you're when you're going through that, did you think, okay, we're going to die?
1: Um, oddly enough, I never thought I was going to die. I thought that I was going to break some bones. I thought we were going to have to land in the trees. And I thought that maybe I'd break my arm, my legs, or something was going to happen. But it, I mean, I don't like to talk about religion all the time. I am religious. I'm Christian. But I swear it was like the only place in the world was this one place and it was perfectly in our glide slope and it felt like God like pointed us there and pointed us to land there and to like, there's just no other way you can explain it. And it was just unbelievable. And I don't know, it just was perfect timing and perfect placement. And it was just pretty crazy.
0: Because if the retention pond would have been filled with water, that it would have been a completely different situation.
1: Yeah. I mean, we probably wouldn't even have tried to, li- to land there, even though it was the only place we could land within the area and what we had left on our glide range. So it would have been the only spot or trees or like a downslope on the mountain. So yeah, that was the only place that would have been much different story.
0: So you land, you look at each other, you're like, okay, did you have any broken bones or were you actually okay?
1: Yeah, we were all okay. No one was hurt. Um, the plane went into a ditch and that's another good thing that happened when we were when we landed on the strip it pulled us into a ditch we went up in the air a li- not too high so not like drastically high we went up in the air a couple feet came back down uh the only thing that damaged on the airplane was the prop was bent other than the engine failure the prop bent when it came back down to hit the ground so the FAA came out they looked at it they literally told us they're like this is unbelievable this is the only thing you could have done the engine was completely messed up they said there's no investigation there's no accident there's no incident on your record whatsoever this is just gonna be a great piece of interview (laughs) material for you to go tell the airline
0: and um a great learning experience
1: yeah absolutely and it was like you said i was kind of afraid of flying after that the next day i went home i I was living my wife was living in charlotte at the time i was living with friends in columbus because that's where the the uh, company was based. So I was going back and forth between Charlotte and Columbus, but I took an airline home and the airline home was a pretty terrifying experience just because any kind of, I was very sensitive to what the plane was doing and anytime there's a, a, a sharp power reduction or an out add of additive power or just anything like it kind of like my stomach dropped and it just kind of like PTSD, like, Oh my gosh, it's happening again.
0: How long did it take you to get back into an airplane?
1: I got, I went back up probably five days later, five just because I knew that I had to, if I just kept pushing it off, I probably wouldn't be a pilot right now.
0: That, that makes sense to me. Did you think in those five days you're sitting at home, you're like, holy crap, that was incredible. And God guided me to this mountaintop. Did you ever think I'm going to find a new career?
1: Um no, because I was so invested at that point and like I've put so much money into it, I felt like I should keep going. I felt like I still wanted to do it, and I just yeah, I'd never really thought about doing another career. I just knew that I had to to take a little bit of time off to kind of just recoup and just like get my wits about myself and then go back after it.
0: You never thought about not being a pilot. You always said I'm invested and I'm going to do this no matter what. Yeah. Yep. How long yeah. did it go? Ahead, how long did it take for you, once you were back up in the air, for you to feel like, all right, I'm back in control, PTSD is not affecting me. I'm okay.
1: The first slide I was back. Oh, so the first wow. slide it all kind of just came back and eased back into it. Um, I realized that that I mean, this is not like statistically correct, but the chances of that happening again have to be pretty slim. Um, that's just what I kept telling myself, even though that doesn't really matter. It's just, it's still the same statistic wise of that happening to you again, but that's how I look at it. I, I think that it just took that one flight to kind of the first takeoff, the first kind of, you know, when you feel turbulence and you feel the, you pull the power back and you see it like, Hey, the plane's still okay. The plane still flies. Like, I'm going to be okay. I can still do
0: this. Right. Because I know if, you know, flight attendants were trained for emergency landings and were trained to evacuate aircrafts but i always think if i have to go through that i'm going to be as professional as possible right i'm going to get the job done i'm going to save as many people but when my ass is out of that slide i'm probably done
1: take off your wings and take off your uniform and be like screw this i'm I, out
0: i'm yeah i used to joke about if there was not ever an emergency landing i was going to be the first one out and i was going to grab a baby because then when the cameras were on me i could say i was saving the baby move out of my way yeah. i quit
1: i mean think about it, that's a book deal that's a youtube series you're gonna have that's probably a tv show so yeah that makes the most financial sense
0: right i'm just gonna be yeah. like i'm gonna i'm gonna be as i'm gonna try to be as professional but i work with flight attendants who they're like oh my god i would fall they say this to you while you're on the jump seat while you're going 150 miles an hour down the runway if we had an emergency i'd fall apart yes that makes me feel good
1: yeah like sweet i'm so glad i'm on this flight right now
0: (laughs) i'm gonna need you to just keep that to yourself when i was a supervisor back in the day um i had this one flight attendant somebody reported her because they were like, I hate report. Cause you know, you know, the world, the airline industry, you don't really report each other mm-hmm. and somebody came in and they're like, I don't know what to do. I've flown with this girl on a four day trip. And in during takeoff and landing, she hides in the lab and she's crying. Whoa. And I'm like, well, thank you for coming to me and telling me this. Yeah. So I talked to this girl and she's like, I'm afraid. And I'm like, what are you afraid of? She's like the entire thing. I was like, honey, this is not the job for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, that's never going to change, right? <laughs> right. You're not,
0: Now, I used to be afraid to fly. And then I oh, really? watched that um, TV show on Virgin Atlantic. And then I got over my fear. But this girl was crying in the lab. So I was like, we're going to have to do something. She goes, can I be a gate agent? And I was like, well, I don't think it works that way. Yeah.
1: It's Like, so, uh, I'll put you in touch with someone that can interview you. But yeah, that doesn't transfer.
0: Right. But your, 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 your fear your little bit of fear wasn't afraid of flying. It was after that situation. And then you just jumped right back on the horse and you boom, you're good.
1: Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that works for everyone, but for me, I just knew that I had to get back into it. And I think that first flight was going to kind of be, if I was afraid to fly, then I think I might've stepped away. But the fact that I wasn't afraid of flying and I, I was kind of reminded about why I did it kind of just went up for fun, you know, kind of, I did have to fly for work, but it was just kind of like a, a good reminder that I can do this and that, The chances of this happening again are pretty slim. Right.
0: So, like I said, I did a little stalking of you. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Yes, I'm such a I appreciate
1: that text of, uh, you can buy my picture for $7.
0: <laughs> well, listen, when I first had, when I was like, okay, I'm going to have Justin on, I was like, is he going to really want to talk about being a pilot? Because his podcast is literally called pilot to pilot. And he interviews pilots constantly. And how many times can you talk about how someone became a pilot?
1: <laughs> Apparently 93 times. Because 93, of the done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, are you bored with that yet? Or are you still fascinated with everyone's story?
1: Um, that's a great question. I would say, no, I'm not bored. I enjoy talking with people and I have been kind of surprised at how many different avenues and how many different ways people can become pilots and how everyone's kind of got into the industry a little bit different. When I first started it, I thought maybe after 10 episodes, it'd be like the same thing over and over and over again. But I think that just, getting to know them as a person and not just focusing on aviation also helps because I could try to understand who they are, why they do what they do, how they did it and where they got to it. And people kind of fo- focus more on the motivation side than maybe the same. I became a pilot. went to this flight school and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right. Because everyone has a pre-life before the airline industry and they have a journey that they've gone, whether it's to become a pilot or a flight attendant. And when I, wanted to do this podcast, you know, cause I've been flight attendant Joe for over 10 years now. And at, at some point I think, all right, how many memes can I make? How many top tens of <laughs> this shit that I could do? And now I start seeing new people coming on, um, new like Instagram accounts and new bloggers. And I'm like, Oh good. There's someone else here to do it.
1: Oh, is that how you think about that? You don't kind of think like, you're not mad. Like maybe I'm the best you should, I should do this or it doesn't bother you.
0: No, I think I led the way and you can follow.
1: Oh, nice. I like yeah. that. I like the way that that, that you look at that because I, I find myself in a competition sometimes and it can kind of be like a, a fire to make me work harder and to get better interviews and to get better at what I do so I can try to be the best, you know?
0: No, I understand that. I, um, I don't think of it that way. Well, you know, there's sometimes someone will write a, make a meme, some flight attendant Instagram page will make a meme and I'll think, damn, I should have thought of that. That's funny. (laughs) Right. But it's, it's actually given me kind of the freedom to say, okay, You don't have to do that so much and you can kind of go down a different route. So when I decided to do this podcast, I was like, I I have to use the Flight Attendant Joe name because it's the brand, right? Everyone, nobody knows Joe Thomas, but if you say Flight Attendant Joe, a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of that, right? So you
1: built this brand for 10 years, so Uh you got to use it.
0: I know it's been going on a long time. So, but I didn't want to just have airline people on to talk about, so you're a flight attendant. What's it like hanging out nuts? (laughs) So you're a pilot. So you have 15,000 hours. That's great. So I was like, I'm going to do this podcast where I have airline people and non-airline people. And if I do have airline people on, I'll talk a little bit about their career in the airline industry, but I want to find out more about them. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I started I started stalking you, and I was like, let me go on. As you should, and of course. Me, yeah. Of course, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're a handsome guy. You've got the voice. You could probably do sex phone calls. Tell your wife, like, <laughs> like I'm pilot to pilot. I'll tell my wife I, that. That's my I, new career. That's, yeah, if pilot to pilot drops off, and then you're not a pilot anymore, please go into like sex phone conversation. I promise <laughs> I'll see what she okay. says. it'll be good. She's probably gonna laugh. But So I went on your Instagram page, and the first thing that popped off was you were a quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I was telling my husband that this morning, he's like, wow, that's big. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's big. So I type your name in, you're number 17. You were the team captain from Providence High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm like, you're a celebrity.
1: hardly (laughs) I appreciate it
0: now let's talk about when you were do you miss playing football
1: no not at all no No. not a single bit of me misses football and it's mainly because how political football can be Um, I wasn't the best player coming out of high school I was good but it took me I, I didn't take the natural path to get to Ohio State so I actually had to go to a prep school not because of my grades but because I just needed more exposure needed more colleges to come find me. My high school coach did not help me recruit, be recruited at all. It was my dad making cold phone calls to every single college coach in the country. He literally had a a book of every single college coach and would scratch off their names if they said no or put a check mark by him and set up interviews and set up uh, recruitment trips. And it just got to the point where I needed my coach to step up and he didn't. So I needed to go somewhere else to further my exposure, to get more exposure and to, to get an opportunity to go play somewhere where I knew I was good enough to play. So no. I went to this place called North Carolina Prep or NC Tech Preparatory Academy, which is no longer, it's no longer a thing. It was pretty much a complete scam. And it was on uh, this this episode called Outside the Lines on ESPN. Have you ever heard about that? No. I Where haven't. the coach was actually taking money and like it was it was a scam that he was running to get people to think they could get more exposure uh-huh. now lucky for me i actually got the exposure i needed to get out of there and move on and go somewhere else but he would have kids come maybe four or five years always promise them all these goals and all these things but i'll get them at there how he will get them to ohio state i'll get them to michigan how i'll get them to their dream school and they never actually get there now unfortunately he used me do you know who antonio brown is no i do
0: not, I do not. so
1: antonio brown's a football player. He's currently going through a lot of legal struggles right now, but he played in the NFL. He was one of the best wide receivers ever, not ever, but for the Pittsburgh Steelers traded to the Oakland Raiders and had a bunch of issues um, men- mentally. So he, I don't know if it's CTE related or what, but he actually went to the same prep school as me and this coach to use Antonio Brown and me as selling points for them to come to their, their school.
0: So if it was up to this guy, you might not have gotten, if it wasn't for your dad, cause your dad went to Ohio state. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, he did. He and, really did do stocking.
0: Nice. I'm, I'm <laughs> telling you, I do my research, sir. Yeah. And um, pre- and your parents were like making videos of you and sending them off to the schools. I mean, they were like, we can't trust this to prep school, so we're going to have to do all the work for us, for him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and you played football all four years while you were at Ohio State, am I correct?
1: I did, yeah. And I'll, I'll clarify, I wasn't a starter there, so I was a backup. I never really got playing time. and that's kind of another reason why I stopped loving football and was ready to stop playing football was just because I realized very quick that these guys that were in front of me that were playing in front of me were better than me. They were faster than me. They could throw farther than me. They're a little bit more accurate than me. I might've had a better decision making in the pocket, but they were the better athlete. They were the better quarterback. So very quickly when I got to Ohio state, I realized that I needed a plan B I needed. How am I going to make money? <laughs>
0: Did your dad play football?
1: No, he played baseball, baseball. in uh, high school. Yeah.
0: So, it's from from what I'm getting, you didn't really love playing football.
1: Um, so I did love playing football okay. until I, so I I took football as far as football could get me. So I love football for what it provided for my life. I love football and I love competing. That's another reason why I love flying because it's kind of like a competition between myself. It's another reason why when I see other people create aviation podcasts or try to do in the same space that I'm in, I want to be better because at the end of the day, I want to be the best. I want to compete. I want to be number one. That's kind of like the football mentality that I always take into my life. So football... I loved it at a time, but it ran its course. It ran its course in college when I realized that this is kind of as far as I can take it, and then it led me to aviation. And because my dad's a pilot, my grandpa's a pilot, so I figured why not try kind of what the family does. You know, it seems like it's a family business, so I went into it, took up my first flight, and just fell in love with it. And I knew then that football brought me to aviation, and I kind of carried those characteristics into my flying career.
0: But yeah, because there's a brotherhood In football and also in the flight deck. You know, there's this camaraderie, there's this, you know, type of relationship between sports and I think. People in the flight deck, pilots, like you got each other's back. You're on the same team. It's different than flight attendants in the back. They'll stab each other in the eye as quickly as possible. (laughs) Oh, are you looking at the guy in five A? I saw him first. Stab. (laughs) That's hilarious. It's true, but um, so do you find that in the airline and being playing football helped you transition into being a pilot?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that I grew up with football. So when oh, I grew up at Ohio state, that's where, cause in high school I was the best, you know, people kind of tell you how good you are, you know, they kind of build you up, but it just kind of came natural to me. I could throw, I could make good decisions when I was, when I was uh, playing football. And so it just led me to people thinking that I was good and maybe better than I actually thought I was. So I didn't necessarily put in the hard work that I needed to put in. I just kind of went off of, my natural ability, my natural talent. When I got to college, I realized I wasn't the best and I probably would to be the best, but it focused. And we had a coaching change from Coach Tressel to Coach Meyer. And then I met my wife while I was there. And between Coach Meyer and my wife, and kind of just like expectations and what they wanted and how they lived their life, it helped change me to keep me accountable, to make me work hard, to realize what life's about and how you can't make excuses, how this is your life. You have one opportunity to make it whatever you would like and it's up to you you know like no one cares about your excuses no one cares because you didn't want to wake up at 6 a.m no one cares because you're too tired to take that flight listen it's your life you have to be the ceo of your life and you're responsible at the end of the day so that's kind of what i learned from football what i learned from my wife and how to attack my life and kind of put myself in a situation to to compete to be the best
0: i agree and I love how you say that the football mentality has pushed you to want to be number one. You know, if, you, if someone else is coming up with a pilot podcast, you want to be better than them. Do you, how long, have how long, Pilot to Pilot, I think started in August of 2017 or 2016?
1: Uh, 2017 okay. is when it started. So, so it's uh, almost three years now.
0: It's almost three years, but it's still kind of new
1: yeah absolutely i'm still learning i'm still trying to figure out what like we talked about earlier how wh- where where i want this to go you know like i don't know the end goal still so it's still kind of in the building process and it's still new
0: I yes and i was just thinking when you were talking about like oh you know when someone else does it it pushes me to want to be number one and i was sitting here thinking what am I doing wrong? Because I, and this is what I was just thinking, like, well, I'm letting these new people come in. And I'm like, ah, good, make the memes. I've done that. And then I realized, oh, I feel like the grandpa. I feel like I've been doing this 10 years. I've proven myself. I don't need to prove myself anymore. I think that's the mentality I have. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself coming to that? Or do you think, nope, I'm always going to want to be number one, no matter if I'm doing this three years or 10? I
1: don't know. That's a, that's a really good question because I think there comes a point where maybe in 10 years, if it's not where I thought it could be, you know, if you have some disappointments or if you don't reach all the goals you want, it gets to the point where it could kind of bring you down and maybe someone else comes up and they have a new idea. They have a new way of producing a podcast or doing vlogs or whatever it may be. And they're getting some success. It could be easy for you or for me to kind of take a step back be like, well, he clearly knows what he's doing. And I feel like that's where it's going to be a choice that I have to make where I want to either... There's a thing Coach Myers always say. it's like live your life above the line. And every single day, you should either... You should take like this check mark and put it where I did everything I could to make my life the best it could possibly be to live above the line. Or if you don't do it, then you're living below the line and you're not doing everything you possibly can be. That's why I kind of talked about. It's kind of my own accountability and it's kind of my own competition with myself because I'm all about other people coming into the space. I'm all about other people trying to, to make aviation as great as it once was to get more pilots, but I want to be the best at it. And that doesn't mean I don't want other people to succeed too. So it's kind of like cooperation and it's kind of helping each other out, but making sure that I push myself to be the best without diminishing other people's return too. Does that make sense.
0: Yeah, that does make sense um, because there's enough space for everyone and like I said, when I see a meme that somebody wrote, I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I have wrote that. And then me. All right. Maybe sometimes I'm like, who do these bitches think they are? <laughs> but then I go, that might,
1: that might be the fire for you to start making those memes.
0: Uh, well, you know, memes, I can only make them when they pop in my head. Like I yeah. will think of something and I'm like, all right, that was funny. Let me write that down. Let me find a funny picture for it. And then I'll make the meme. But, I also think let them do that because there's more that I want to do. I just don't want to make memes. I want to talk to people. I want to learn from people. And that's why I started this podcast. Um, After I was finished on Confessions on the Fly, I said, you know what? Let me do a podcast and let me see how that goes with me interviewing people.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of like the thing too, where so someone comes up and maybe they're doing memes better than you. Maybe that's the time for you to kind of recognize that maybe they're okay, they're better at this, but it's your turn to grow your brand. It's your turn to, to kind of realize, like you said, like you laid the path, other people are following you. Now you need to continue that path. You need to show that, okay, you can go from a meme account, you can go from a stand-up comedian writing books to now doing a podcast, now hosting a show, you know, whatever your goals are. Just because you say no to the memes, that can bring in more time and more space for you to further your brand and continue to branch out and continue to lay that path for everyone.
0: Yeah, until they start trying to do a podcast, and then I'm going to have to start slapping bitches.
1: And then you cut them, yeah. Well,
0: then I cut Oh, I have a knife, too. I go camping. I chop wood. Um, yeah, would be afraid. They should be afraid.
1: They, they are afraid. They
0: better be. <laughs> Now let's go back to football for a moment. Cause I, I, I'm so, I'm so, I was so happy. I was like, Oh my God, we don't have to talk about pilot stuff all the time. I can talk about football with him when you were in college in high school. Did you want to be pro or did you say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get through college and then I'm going to do something else.
1: No, I wanted to be Tom Brady. I wanted to be the best quarterback there ever was. I thought that I could, um, high school and my whole life, I never tried in school because I knew that I had some kind of athletic potential that could lead me to college. Now I was lucky and it did. That's not the case for everyone else, but it used to frustrate me. I would never do my homework. I would never study. I had so many teacher, teacher, parent meetings about how I was lazy, how I didn't want to do this, but it wasn't the fact that, I didn't care about school because I mean, I didn't really care about school, but I was just so focused on sports and I knew that sports was going to be my way to make it. And I knew that it would pave the way for me to make the opportunities and to create opportunities was through sports rather than through school.
0: Did you have um, a dream team that you want, that you imagine that you'd be the quarterback on?
1: Yeah. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've always wanted to play for the Carolina Panthers. That was my, my dream team. And I wanted to win all the Super Bowls and all the MVPs. <laughs>
0: well, that's that's good. I, I, I,
1: yeah.
0: Who did you root for, for in the Super Bowl this year? <clears throat>
1: so uh, I rooted probably. for the 49ers because they had a, a player that is from Ohio State that I like, Joey Bosa, or no, Nick Bosa. Joey Bosa plays for the L.A. Chargers. So his brother plays for the, the 49ers, and yeah. I really liked him.
0: You know, um, it's so interesting you brought them up because... <laughs> So I was just in Kansas City and Omaha visiting friends over the um, Super Bowl weekend and my you know they were crazy the Chiefs were out of control and I went yeah. to a friend's house and they were like they have Chiefs every chief stuff everything and I walked in I'm like yay 49ers because <laughs> I um I lived in the Bay area for seven years, but I'm really not that big of a fan. I think their quarterback is the hottest man in the world, but I thought you'd say that. Yeah, (laughs) you knew I was going to say that, but besides that, but I also started reading some research and, um, what, what was his name? Nick and Joey, right? Yeah. Joey got some bad press for like tweeting homophobic stuff. And do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I did. I, I never saw the tweets. I've never actually looked it up, but I was uh, aware after the Super Bowl that he was getting some some flack for some stuff that he might have said in the past.
0: Now, do you how do you th- what do you think of things that come back? And take Kevin Hart for example. Kevin Hart said some stupid jokes ten years ago, apologized for them, and then ten years later, people are digging things up. Do you think that this is going to be something that continues to happen for a long time, or do you think it'll just settle down?
1: Um, I don't know. I think that really depends on kind of where, what the social climate's like and what's acceptable, because as you know, it's changed completely in 20, 10, 15 years. It has changed completely to what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what people view as right, what people view as not right. So I think that, Kevin, if, if someone, and the way I look at it, if someone has said jokes that kind of everyone has said in the past, not everyone, but you know what I mean? It was very common for people to make jokes like what Kevin Hart said, or maybe what other people said, but if they are truly sorry for what they did and they're honest and they forgive people, or if they actually ask for forgiveness, they actually do things to kind of clear their name, to to make it right to where that other people know that it's not just a blanket statement and that they're actually changed and they actually don't think that that's okay then I think it's okay to forgive people. I think it's okay to let Kevin Hart host, what was it, the Oscars or the the whatever it was because he was truly sorry. He he might've said things that were wrong, but I think, it's also okay for to forgive people for what they've done in the past if you can see that they're a different person now. If that makes sense.
0: Well, that totally makes sense. I don't think people want to forgive anymore. They just want to say, "Ha ha, I've got you." You said this in 1997. <laughs> I still believe I'm going to probably be on my deathbed or in a wheelchair, and some person's going to walk up and say, "You wrote this in your book," but like, yeah, that was 30 years <laughs> ago. Take a seat.
1: I know, right? Like it's over. I've changed people grow, people change. It's okay. And I don't think forgiveness is maybe the sexiest thing in the world. It's more sexy to call people out on what they did to get your, um, I mean, you know, on Twitter, it's kind of like the Wild Wild West. You say what you want, you try to get your thousand likes, your your whatever likes, and then you feel better about yourself. But you don't care about the fact that maybe this person has changed. Maybe he has gone through a huge life change or maybe there was other circumstances that we don't know that don't understand why he would have said stuff like that. But he has changed and it's okay to forgive. But I just don't think that's kind of like the climate we're in right now.
0: No, like you said, I agree. I don't think it's cool, sexy. You said sexy, which is much better. I don't think it's sexy. People don't want to forgive. They want to say, oh, I'm angry. I'm just angry. I'm angry because you made a joke about something. I've written some really bad jokes in my first book. I toned it down after the second and the third one. And then I think, oh my God, now I'm starting a podcast where they're just going to be able to take clips and make me say whatever I want. Why am I doing this to myself?
1: Podcast is over after this episode.
0: (laughs) No, I think the podcast will be over after next, um, uh, last week's episode, with um ryan and we talked politics i think that's when people are going to be like i don't like joe anymore but you know what i can't worry about that
1: no you can't you know what i i love about kind of i i mean people think different than me people are different than me but i like that like i i like diversity i like that people are different i like people that i like that they have their own voice they can voice their own opinions i think that's important and i think that it's important for everyone to be okay with the fact that we might have different opinions on certain things, and the fact that if we don't agree doesn't mean I don't like you. It's just that we have different opinions. It's why people can choose Android over iOS. It's why they have Mac and Windows, and it's just like there's so many things that you can do. And it's just like, just as long as you're a good person and you care about other people and you want the overall the greater good in the world, then I think that we should all be okay. But <laughs> I don't know if that's the the climate that we live in right now. Like you said, it's not sexy to be like that.
0: It's not. It's definitely not. And. You'd mentioned about football, like the tribalism of football, of things like that. And I think that's where everyone is. It's it's us versus them. Yeah. And um I'll- But no, I was just curious because when you brought up his name, this is why I love podcasting. You never know where the conversation's gonna go. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> that is what's so cool. Like I could sit here and prepare every question that I have, and then it just changes because I remember reading about those two brothers. Um, and of course, after the tweets came out and he was going to San Francisco, they were like, "You need to reevaluate your message you're sending out because you're going to San Francisco.
1: <laughs> yeah. and, you know some- I think there was even a point where he didn't want to go to San Francisco maybe because of that. like I don't I don't know the whole story, but yeah, it was definitely. Uh, they're they're trying to change his brand because some of the things that he's done in the past might not jive with what he is planning on the future
0: right and you know when you're younger you kind of just say you' you I believe when you're younger and you're in college and you know you're on Twitter the world of social media I'm gonna say whatever I want no one's gonna no one's gonna censor me right and then comes the day where it's like hey you want to do this but you said this so now how do we how do we fix that
1: yeah Go back and delete the tweets.
0: Go back and delete the tweets. Oh my God, I but hate it. they're never I hate
1: fully Twitter. deleted. They're in the, like, I think they're in a national Congress or they're in some kind of library forever. Like every tweet ever sent is never fully deleted. There's always a record of it. So it's right, done.
0: Right, right. Because yeah. if they ever need to pull something up, they just say, hey, Twitter, we need to know what Justin said on this day. Um, and then you're like, "Screwed." So yeah, I went off Twitter just because it was, I felt it was very toxic yeah um somebody said don't go off just follow the people that you like and i said but that's the problem and that's what i think is happening right now everyone is just sticking with the people that they agree with
1: yeah like i, I like to follow people i could I like to follow multiple viewpoints because i like to see what everyone's thinking what everyone's doing and I don't, I don't obviously make things very political because i just don't think there's any good in talking about it right now just right. because of how you get viewed or what people think about you when you say one thing and they don't focus on maybe the other good points that you have or why you personally feel a certain way. So I don't think it's always good, but I like to get all the information that I can and all the unbiased information or maybe biased information and kind of compare the two and see why people think this way, why people do this or why people want to do that.
0: Well, I think, um, you said something that really resonated with me. It's you like diversity because you like to learn from other people. And that's how I feel. That's why I'm actually doing this podcast because every episode I'm like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Or, Oh yeah, that makes sense. So, um, I
1: like to, I like to try to push myself. So if I feel uncomfortable, I want to know why I feel uncomfortable and talk to someone and learn from them and learn why maybe they do things that way and learn why they are that way or why they believe that and kind of just get a better understanding because maybe the, the things that they apply to their life can help me in my life. And I can take a step back and be like, all right, well, If I mean, it doesn't have to be anything political, it can just be like they wake up at 4 a.m. every morning because that's the best time for them to work. Maybe I try that and it works out, you know. Or Marines take cold showers at 6 a.m. It's like, okay, so I'll try that. And then, terrible idea, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Don't ever uh, take a cold shower at 6 a.m. That's awful.
0: (laughs) No, you know what? I did one day when we first moved um, to Colorado, it snowed like 15 inches, and I had read somewhere, all right. I saw Madonna. Oh God! I saw Madonna get into an ice bath, and she said it was really good for your muscles. And I said, "I'm gonna go." (laughs) I'm an idiot. I'm gonna go sit in my underwear in the in the snow in the backyard and see how I feel. I did. Sounds like a great idea. I I didn't feel any better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) But But you tried it, you had to learn from it, it. you know, you you had this, this idea and you wanted to see if this applied to your life and made your life better or if it helped you out and you tried it. A lot of people don't try that kind of thing. They just kind of either say they hold themselves back from, from doing it or even trying it because people might think they're weird sitting in the underwear, in their underwear outside in the freezing cold.
0: My husband opens the door and he looks outside, he goes are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to help my muscles. He's like, I'm not even going to ask you anymore. I like, you yeah, like just
1: Madonna did it. So it's cool.
0: Yeah. Madonna, Lady Gaga does it, but it, is, yeah. it obviously only works for women. Cause it did nothing for me.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: When you were, so you're a quarterback in high school, in college football, you know, you have to be really alert. You have to know where you're throwing the ball. You have to, you have to, you have to, it's amazing how you guys throw the ball at someone who's running and then that person catches the ball. I can't catch a ball standing still. (laughs) Do you, did that help you, that type of eye coordination and being so alert? Do you think that helps you Transition into becoming a pilot because you know you have to be aware you have to when you're a pilot You're like five steps ahead of everything.
1: Yeah I would say definitely helped and I think you kind of hit it right on the head You hit the nail on the head right there when you said you have to be five steps ahead so in a quarterback you have to as a quarterback you have to anticipate you have to know what's coming before it comes and you have to be able to kind of decipher information and read the situation and know what the best move is very quick. Like you only, sometimes you only have two seconds, three seconds to, to see what the defense is doing, to react to that blitz, to react to the situation and then make the perfect throw or make the good decision. And that's the same thing in aviation, you know, how you react and how you can anticipate situations and how you can kind of feel what the airplane's doing or maybe you need to add more power, maybe you needed to decrease the power or an emergency situation. You keep your cool because you have been used to being under pressure. You have been used to, to making real, really quick, good decisions over and over and over again. So it's definitely helped me. And I think that I am the pilot I am today because of what I've learned from football and from sports.
0: I just recently learned that college football players don't get paid.
1: Yeah. They do
0: not. Do they make money on endorsements um, or nope. are they allowed to? So you, so college football players are out there beating their bodies up for what? The chance to play in the NFL. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. Essentially a chance to play in the NFL to either be the best player that they possibly can be. But the end goal for every athlete is to play professionally, whether that's NBA, WNBA, football, their their tennis, swimming, whatever it is. It's to make it to the professional sport. And yeah, there's, or as of right now, it's changing right now, but there is no way for an athlete to legally make money off of their name in the NCAA. But
0: the coaches make millions.
1: Millions. Yeah.
0: I My brain doesn't understand that.
1: Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Now, athletes do get certain perks. So like. As of right now, an Ohio State athlete gets a full scholarship to go to school. They get a stipend. They get like, I don't know how much it is, but they get maybe like two grand a month for for rent, for other things, for food. Um, that's just based on the scholarship. So that has nothing to do with kind of their, their uh, ability to play sports. But I mean, when I was there, the quarterback that was playing, his name was Terrell Pryor, he would probably sell, or even Tim Tebow, he sold maybe like millions and millions of dollars off his jersey and he gets zero dollars from that
0: that's so crazy to me now when you're there and you're in, at ohio state or wherever and you're playing do you say to each other this is screwed up or are you so stoked that you're playing for this incredible team that you just ignore that
1: i'd say it's a mixed bag i think that between the locker room it might be there's some people that think that college athletes shouldn't get paid i think now if you go to a, co- a locker room you're gonna find maybe a hundred percent of them think that they should be paid It's a very hard thing to do because it's like opening Pandora's box. How do you do it fairly? Ohio State, Alabama, Southern California, Texas, like they make so much more money than all the smaller schools. And they have so many other, think about a kid going to LA with the endorsement deals that he could have or maybe someone in New York or someone in Columbus where they love Ohio State and all the local endorsements, but huge. But then you got someone going to Southern Mississippi and they have no endorsement deals. There's like no benefit for them to go there. If you can go make a million dollars in Columbus and be a backup quarterback, why don't you do that rather than go play, get your brain beat in and maybe tear your ACL or get hurt at Southern Miss, you know? So it's like, you kind of pick what you want. And I just, I don't know how
0: they're going to do it fairly. That's, just, but since you've been in school, you say now, or when you were in school, most people are like, no, we need to get paid.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, definitely the idea was that we should probably be paid for what we're doing because when you are in that situation and you see the business of it, like that's another reason why, like I said, the politics is one of the reasons why I didn't want to play anymore, but it was also the business side of it. Like if you just see how things go down and what really comes first and how, I mean, they care about you, but they care more about your product on the field. They care more about, you winning that championship than I feel like some coaches are different. Some coaches are completely different and they're very player, player driven and player friendly, but there's a lot of programs that aren't that way and care more about um, them getting a better job or them winning as many games as possible or making as much money as possible. So I'd say, yeah, most players as of right now are definitely And when I was there would like to get paid for what they're doing.
0: I, um, you know, I'm not a big, football person and I'll tell you why in a minute, but I like basketball and I've never understood. So when I would look at football and I would say, take the Raiders, for instance, they're LA, San Francisco, LA, Oakland, San Francisco, they're all over. Now they're going to Vegas and people, people who love football in the NFL, they go crazy over their home team, right? But that team doesn't have really any loyalty to the city or to the people there. Cause if if the city doesn't build a stadium or they don't get whatever they get to stay there, they're going to bounce. Yeah. And so I've never understood that. So when I got into basketball, um, because for one, I don't see the, you know, I don't see them getting injured as much as football. And that's the reason I don't really support football. But so when I started watching basketball, I was like, all right, I don't want to, I can't be, um, I can't be that guy who says that about the NFL, but, doesn't follow that for basketball. And I like the Warriors, right? Cause I lived in yeah. the Bay area. So I it's said, to, it
1: was a good time to like the Warriors. <laughs> well,
0: it was this season. I'm like, don't even turn on the TV. <laughs> so I came up with this new idea. I said, you know what? I'm not gonna root for a team. I'm going to find players that I like and follow them. So if they're on a team that, if hey, if, you know I love Clay Thompson. And Steph Curry, and they're on the Warriors. But if they left and they went to another team, I'd follow them to that team. So, what that yeah. does is it helps me watch more basketball because I'm not just watching one team wanting one team to win, but it also doesn't put me into the category where I'm like, I'm a tribal, and I'm just going to stick with my team. I want to, so, you know, when they leave and they go to different teams, I want to follow the person. And I find that that's really helped me.
1: Yeah, that's a a good way to to put it because I, being from Charlotte, I grew up a Charlotte Hornet fan. I grew up a Carolina Panther fan. And it's kind of, I'm so loyal to Charlotte that I can't, it's like physically impossible for me (laughs) to like another team. I I don't have a baseball team, but because Charlotte doesn't have a team, like I want to like the Chicago Cubs. I wanted to like the Cleveland Indians when I lived there, but like, I just can't do it. I need that loyalty. I need that kind of sense of like, that's my team. And the only way I can do that is from where I'm from and where I live pretty much most of my life now, almost half my life, but it's just like, I have to have that loyalty. Now I I agree with you with players. So I I love Steph Curry. Steph Curry is my favorite player, but that's because he's from Charlotte. That's because he grew up in Charlotte. I grew up going to the same camps he did. I grew up going to his dad's camps and we played basketball together. Like not enough to where he would know who I was or anything like that. But like, I like Steph Curry because he's from my hometown. So it's kind of like, I'm so much of a Charlotte Homer and it's like everything that has to do with Charlotte, I'm all on board.
0: Did you happen to watch the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix? I did. Oh my God, wasn't that incredible? (laughs)
1: It was really good. And surprisingly his coach at Florida was my coach at Ohio State. Really? Yeah. Coach Meyer coached Aaron Hernandez wow. when he was at Ohio State.
0: Wow. And or when Tim, he was at Florida, sorry. And Tim Tebow was there with him?
1: Yeah. Tim Tebow was there with Aaron Hernandez and Coach Meyer.
0: Now the Aaron Hernandez story, like I watched it like all three episodes in a row. Cause someone's like, you should watch this. And I was like, all right, let me watch this. Um, Cause I kind of knew, I probably knew 25% of the story. Um, yeah. And when I was done, I was so conflicted because I was like, all right, I think he did this, but I don't know if he did that. And um, then it gets into the CTE, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy.
1: Yeah. Wow. That was a good job. You said that
0: perfect. <laughs> I have it written down. I'm fake. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I, have it, I have it written down. But, um, and that, I've always known about that, but just seeing this. And when they showed his brain, I'm not saying that's the reason he went crazy or he did these things. I mean, you know, I also have the question of Are people born psychopaths because he was probably a little psychopathic because he could, he sat there and was deadpan when all this stuff was happening. Like seeing him dancing around in his house and stuff was like, there's something up there, but knowing that football players are bashing their heads in and causing this type of damage. And then in football, in college, they're not getting paid for it. When you were in college, was this a concern?
1: It was starting to be a concern. So there were reports coming out. I think Junior Seau, who was a a big-time linebacker, just committed suicide, and it was a big shock. There was a Kansas City Chief player who I think killed his wife and his kid in his car. And so there's definitely things coming out about CTE. Now, when I was in high school, we didn't really know what CT was, but we knew that there was head injuries, and we didn't know if it was going to be long-lasting. But I think now they are more aware. And I think even for a period of time, the NFL and NCAA was aware of it before maybe the general public was aware and they didn't do everything they needed to do to, to protect their players.
0: Did you ever suffer concussions in, high, in college or high school or whatnot?
1: I had one concussion in high school but that was it.
0: When you're the quarterback I've though. Seen, it, yeah.
1: I've seen really bad concussions though. I've seen one where the center, my starting center in high school, he got hit so hard that he was laughing one minute and the next minute he was crying. He couldn't walk. He didn't have a, his equilibrium was all off. So he couldn't walk straight. We had to carry him and hold him up. Right. And he was laughing and crying every minute. So I've seen some really bad ones
0: that was in high school.
1: Yeah. And then I've had one, one friend who's actually done some really cool stuff. He's created a, a pretty cool uh, weightlifting product that's done pretty well on Amazon, but he had a concussion so bad he couldn't be in light for a week. He had to be in a dark room for a week.
0: Now, I wonder if parents, when, when that's, when something like that happens, do you think parents say, okay, you're done or all right, you got to get back out there because you need to go to college and get a scholarship?
1: Um, In high school, I think that by the time he gets to high school and if you are good enough or if there's a chance for you to get that scholarship, I think they overlook it. I think that it's more of, um, what are the chances actually happens to me? You know, like, all right, he had one concussion, but he hasn't had another one. So they kind of think the chances of this happening to you are so slim and that the actual reward is worth the risk. I don't think it's till later in life until it's too late that people actually realize that maybe I should have stopped in high school. You know, maybe, making it in the NFL for two years and only making a million dollars, which isn't really a lot of money in a lifetime. You know, if you make that in two years, which is a lot for two years, but in your entire lifetime, you are probably not going to make the same money that you could. If maybe you stopped in high school, went to college, did accounting, did all that kind of stuff, you know? So I don't think people are stopping at the right time. And the because the reward is so great, like you keep going, you become the best person you can be, you become the best NFL player or whatever, and you make millions and millions of endorsements and you're, everyone loves you. Right. So I don't think maybe people stop at the correct time when they should stop.
0: They probably think I'll be fine.
1: Yeah. Because one of the chances that happens to you, like you hear about like people getting hit by drunk drivers, like they always think like, that's never going to happen to me. It's just a sad story, you know?
0: Right. And if you do get hit by a drunk driver and live, you still continue to walk down the street. Yeah. And I'm not Hopefully. making, I'm not making an excuse. I I personally think something definitely has to change if, especially if these people, because they say that you can't diagnose it until after the person's dead and yeah. um, it takes eight to 10 years for it to even show up. And in the Aaron Hernandez story, when they dissected his brain, they said like, this didn't just happen yesterday. This has been going on since he's been like in high school playing football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a, it's an interesting time for football because they're coming up. Like the money is so good right now. The fame is so good, but they're coming up with this huge kind of, I don't even know, tragedy where, people are really being affected by this and it's been the amount of time where people are starting to see the effects of CTE. So it's going to be really interesting what the future holds because I personally don't love the idea of my kid playing football. I mean, obviously it depends on the position he plays and I feel like some people are more susceptible to concussions and after you get one concussion, you're more likely to get another. But I think that it's going to be interesting to see who plays football and who doesn't choose maybe basketball or soccer or tennis or golf and less contact sports where you can still have a good career.
0: That was the, the I was going to ask you that question. If and when you have a son and he's like, I want to be like you, dad, I'm going to play football. Are you going to say, why don't you play golf or basketball? Or are you going to support him in that situation? Or you don't know yet.
1: I think I would let them play football, but only when they were maybe in high school. Cause I didn't play football until I got to high school. That was the first time I played football. And I think it's important to have as matured, of a body and a brain and kind of as possible, because when you have these injuries, when you're younger, they affect your growth. They affect how, how you talk, how you speak, how everything. So I think the more mature your, your body is the more mature. Your brain is, I think that you're more equipped for success in the future. So I would definitely, when they're younger, I want them to play any sport possible other than football and maybe even soccer. Cause there's been a lot of studies saying that heading the ball over and over and over again can cause CT as well. So it really depends on, on kind of, how athletic they are too. Like if they're good enough to play certain sports then maybe I'll let them play it earlier, but I want them to get that team environment to get kind of the the same values that I got with waking up early, working out really hard, kind of doing everything for the team and not necessarily just for you.
0: Well, it it teaches you teamwork.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, But that's it now did, I don't know if I know this, but did Aaron Hernandez play football before high school or did he just start in high school? Do you know?
1: I think he played before. I think he played um, peewee football.
0: Okay. Because they show like these, um, they did these tests on him and he um, tested very low in the maturity level.
1: He did. Yeah. He tested very low maturity. And he had, like, when you said, I think he might've been born with it. I think maybe he was like, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a doctor. So I don't know, but I think maybe he was a product of some of the environment that he was into. Like if he would have been maybe gone down different taken different avenues in life or different choices, he might've come out on the other side. I think everyone's kind of faced with certain decisions that really kind of define who you're going to be and kind of define how you're going to end up in the latter part of your life.
0: Oh yes. He definitely had a lot of demons and a lot of things working against him. I remember in the episode in the special, they talk about how all his friends and the people closest to him wanted him to get picked up by somebody on the West coast Get drafted yeah, by somebody the, so that he wouldn't yeah. be. Cl- and I'm actually from Connecticut. He's from Bristol, which is, I used to have, I used to go to Bristol all the time because I had cousins oh, wow. there. So interesting. Um, well, yeah, it was Well, this has been a great conversation, but I have one more question for you and we're going to play my game. Let's get grounded. <laughs> Let's do it. Sounds so ridiculous. All okay. right. So I, I want you to pick a color for your question. So it's green, blue, red, yellow, or purple. Red. Red. Oh, this is, no one has asked this question, so I'm nervous. No, it's not bad, I promise. It's nothing sexual.
1: <laughs> I, I don't believe. <laughs> hey, I haven't even
0: said the F word on this episode. I don't think this episode needs the E next to it.
1: Oh, I'm I'm like impressed. That's great, man. <laughs>
0: well, I know out of all ninety three of your episodes you only have two episodes that have the explicit it's mine and Drizzles. Yeah which I am honored. So here's your yeah. question. Where is the one destination you would never want to visit?
1: Hmm. Um. Worldwide yeah. uh, or United States.
0: Like if I said to you, I'm going to pay for you to go anywhere in the world. And you said, I'll go anywhere but this place. So North can Korea. Be go- oh, all right. That's good. Yeah, that makes sense. You wouldn't want to go to the DMZ? Just check it yeah, out. I think
1: I'll- I think I'll pass. I'll let other people do that. Yeah,
0: my hu- my husband I don't think it plays
1: that. out too yeah. well for many people.
0: No, I, w- I probably wouldn't. I want to go to South Korea, but I don't want to go to North Korea. I don't even think I want to look over because you're not allowed to use your cell phone. I'd be shot in like five seconds.
1: I know. I try to do like a live Instagram story, uh-huh. you know, <laughs>
0: yeah, you would, that would push you up to like 25,000 Instagram followers.
1: And it'd totally be worth it, right?
0: <laughs> it sure would. Well, Justin, thank you so much. Please tell everyone where they can find, this is the moment where you can sell yourself like a hoe. You just Let's tell everyone to find you. Yeah.
1: So you can follow me on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. You can go to my website, pilotthepilothq.com, and you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, what iHeartRadio, whatever you listen to the podcast, you can find it there. And it's called the Pilot the Pilot podcast.
0: Pilot to Pilot. I've been on it. It's a great podcast. Check it out. Yeah. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Okay, bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also, check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.